You just had a beer. Yeah. At 11.30 in the morning. Yeah, but you just like on breakfast. Yeah. Breakfast too is beer? Yeah. How do you drink that early? I, I guess know, it was I was thirsty. I just, I just come from the from the conversation with the other composers and I had to talk, a, well, not a lot, but more than that I'm used to at this uh, <laughs> so early in the morning. So I was thirsty. I needed to drink a little bit. And beer is the best for that. No, I think wa- technically water is the best for that. When you're yeah, thirsty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but water is like uh, you know, it's not the same. Okay, all right. No, I noticed that's like uh, um, uh, I know a lot of uh, Italians and Spaniards that'll be like it'll be like eleven thirty and they'll have like a light pilsner. Well, it, it's not no, it's not so useful for me. It's just like I got here, I got to to the to the bar in the museum, and I mm-hmm. and I saw you having a coffee. I didn't want to have a coffee. I just. As for a beer, it's not that I I do it every day, you know. Like I starting started drinking at eleven in the morning. No, it's not like that. <laughs> every day. Where are you staying now? Where do you live now? Well, now I'm some kind of uh, in the middle of uh, changing my place because I was living in Paris uh, until uh, until June. So now for holidays I went to Spain at my place, and now I'm moving to Geneva. So that is I'm. I'm Why are you moving there? Okay, actually, now let's start with a little bit of background. Yeah. So I I know you're from Madrid. Yeah. Right. And you studied there. What did you study there? Well, I studied uh, I st- I started with guitar, classical guitar, and at the very beginning of my musical training. Oh, you were a guitar player. Yeah. Well, I used to be a guitar player. You know, I I sort of abandoned the guitar. I sort of quit playing guitar. When did you quit? Well, I, I started when when I finished when, when I started the. Bachelor, if you well, the equivalent of of a bachelor in Spain. Uh, I didn't have the time. Well, I started a bachelor in composition, so I didn't have the time to to play anymore. So uh, that's why it's a pity. But well, I, I I stopped. I quit playing. Well, I started a bachelor in composition, and, uh, and I got much more focus in in writing than than playing. So. But your first introduction to music was guitar. Was guitar. Well, I started with piano, but I, very, very, very early when I was like six or something, but I quit because I didn't like it very much. And it, it, my at home, there was a, always a lot of music, classical music, because of my pa- father who was a great amateur. I started to study music seriously until I uh, discovered rock music. And I said, I want to do, I, I listen to, uh, I don't know, a lot of American rock music. Give me uh, a band. Give me, what was your favorite American band that made you say, I want to learn how to play the guitar? Well, I started with typical stuff like uh, Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith. Yeah, it's amazing. Even, even Bon Jovi. I, this is not very, I'm not very proud of it, but it's like that. You know, Bon oh, Jovi's from, from New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, yeah, I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, if you, I've been to so many weddings where you are, if, if you don't sing Bon Jovi at a wedding, like if the DJ doesn't put on Bon Jovi and you're not screaming, there's something wrong with you at that wedding. Like everybody will look at you and like, how come you're not singing Living on a Prayer with us right now? <laughs> <laughs> so you did all that stuff. So uh, then you started taking guitar lessons, but you can't really... Like how do, how do you go from like I love Bon Jovi and GNR to well, composition? Well, the question is, as I'm telling you, I had I had this kind of musical background, classical background at home, so I I knew who Beethoven was, Bach was, so 
I mean, were your, par- were your parents musicians or they were just no? My, my, my father was was an amateur pianist, and uh, you know, he, I heard a lot of music at at home. So when I started playing guitar and and I started because I wanted to play rock music, I already knew there was a Beethoven, there was a classical music, and and I and I liked it. But what I wanted to play was uh, rock music, and, and at the conservatory I started classical guitar. So. So I was like uh, cheated because I wanted to to study rock and I went to the conservatory and I was like this is not what I wa- what I wanted what I really wanted but but uh, little by little I started to like all the all the classical stuff uh, I mean to play in classical Could stuff Could you read music by then like because when you're when you're when you're learning like rock music at the best you're looking at tablature right So yeah. all of a sudden you're going to the conservatory No but the point know, is that I wanted to to uh, to study rock but I started studying classical. Okay. I mean, but so, then you have to learn how to read music, is what I'm saying. So yeah. did you go into the conservatory yeah. knowing how to read music? No, no, no. No, I started from the beginning. From Damn. the beginning, so I started to learn uh, solfege and all, all that stuff. So and like literally, what like note durations? You didn't know anything about note durations or any type of notation. Uh, when I started, no, I didn't because I was. It was at the very very beginning when I started learning music, so. I didn't know anything about that. Wow, that's super late. How old are you at this time? Eight or nine. At the conservatory? Yeah. In Spanish like that, you're going to start even earlier. At the beginning of the conservatory studies. Oh, okay. You're going to start at six, seven, depending on the instrument. Okay, okay. Because you, you have like different levels in my brain this was college in, in my brain this was college so you're like in my brain you were 18 no, at this no, time no, no, no. okay this, so that's not late at all that's totally normal yeah yeah in spanish in europe in general you have this elementary uh, grade and then the intermediary and then the the like college yeah so you're like an eight-year-old like listening to bon jovi yeah <laughs> and playing bon jovi that's adorable <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You know. Thanks. Um, okay, so that makes a little bit more sense. Okay, so then you start learning how to notate music at this age. Uh, you start getting into classical guitar at the age of like eight and nine. Yeah. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. So you do that for another eight, nine years? Yeah, and- but in sort of a parallel way, I started also playing electric guitar. So there was like this double side training. Well, the training was classical, but I mean this double side uh way of expressing myself from one side there was this uh, academic thing with the classical guitar at the conservatory and then in the other side i, I started playing with my friends uh, you know electric guitar and you know just uh, hanging around a little bit were you in a band yeah i had a couple of bands yeah well it, was, it wasn't that bad i think but it's just that we didn't get uh, too far but i think we, we will have uh, done some interesting stuff but it just doesn't it just didn't last enough so at this point you're you do this for a while, and then it's time. Yeah. And then it's time to go to uh, to the um, to conservatory, yeah, like to, to prop, proper. Conservatory. I'm 18 years old. I'm you know going yeah. to the conservatory every day. And this is when I started compos- studying composition seriously because previously I, you know, when you study harmony, counterpoint, and all stuff, you do your your little things. You compose a little bit, but but when I started composing seriously was when I was like 19, something like that. Yeah. You're composing seriously, and then guitar is just there's no room for it. Yeah. You think you could have done both, or no? Maybe, but maybe not uh, the uh, the um, in a in a serious way. I mean, in a in a I mean, uh, not good enough. I c- I couldn't have done it uh, good enough to to be a good composer and a good uh, guitar player at the same time. Okay. I mean, it was a matter of uh, of focusing to be to be better in what I'm doing. What's your music like at that point? 
I was really interested in, uh, especially in French music, like, uh, you know, the Debussy and all that came before that. Well, at that moment when I started composing ser seriously, if you want, uh, I was really interested in Messiaen's music. Yeah, this is when I started uh, college, the, the superior conservatory, the high conservatory. And they, then I evolved a little bit. Yeah, we can say with always with, uh, following the, the French line, the French uh, trend of uh, the French genealogy, if you want, from, from uh, Messiaen, then, uh, then uh, the spectral composers, and then post-spectral composer. This is all during, like, you had exposure to this in, what, what was it, University of Madrid, isn't what I should, or like the, the conservatory in Madrid. Right? Yeah, but, well, well, this is... But it's, it's not that at the conservatory they pushed me on that line. It's just that my personal interest uh, got that way. I mean, in obviously in Spain there's a lot of uh, French influence because it's the it's, it's, they are our, our neighbors, so maybe it's the first influence we have. We, we can't say that at Madrid Conservatory there's there's some kind of Frenchy line, of, of Frenchy wave of composing or something like that. There's not. There's not such a thing. It's just my personal, my personal taste uh, went that way at that moment. Yeah, but we can say that maybe Messiaen and listening to uh, to the Quatuor pour la fin du temps is maybe the, the first uh, milestone that we can put in my in my development as a composer. The first, well, the first uh, the first moment when I realized that I really wanted to be a composer when I listened to the to that piece. What do you, I mean? What do you have exposure to at this point? Because I guess Spain has no... Is there any, like, Spanish tradition, like, strong Spanish tradition? Or do, like, students in Spain kind of, like, have to find out the influence from somewhere else and then not choose, but... Do you know what I mean? Like, if you grew up in Paris, you could easily... I mean, that's your... That's, you know, where it was born and raised. So if they, like, fi if they find interest in that, it kind of makes sense. But for someone like you, it was just, like, the closest thing that yeah. was in Spanish that you had a preference for. So, is there any Spanish kind of yeah, I think right lineage? now we, we can't speak. We can't. We cannot speak about the Spanish tradition because uh, it was somehow broken in the, with the civil war. Uh, we used to have fantastic uh, polyphonic uh, composers in the in the Renaissance, like Thomas Louis de Victoria, and and uh, also the organ composers, organ players, and, and composers. It, it was a great time for Spanish music, and and maybe in the classic also in the classicism. We have uh, we had uh, good composers like Arriaga, for example. But obviously, we, we, uh, Spanish tradition is not as strong as not uh, it's not as prominent as as in France or as in Germany, for example. So I think that the most important composers right now are, are had a study abroad, had studied uh, in Germany or in France, or so. Uh, obviously, they have they have made music of their own. They have somehow adapted what they have uh, learned to the to the Spanish way of understanding music but uh, even some of some of them have have uh, have somehow adapted the the spanish traditional music like flamenco and stuff like that they have taken into uh, uh, contemporary aesthetics but, um, but i think we can't really talk about the spanish tradition is that what it is though just taking like because spanish folk music is famous everybody you know everybody knows that sound and you think it's just taking that and like applying it to Without like French aesthetics, like German aesthetics, do you think that's what is basically happening? Or well, maybe it's not as simple as that. I know, I'm yeah, sorry, but... I'm simplified. <laughs> like I don't like that. Almost sounds like an insult. I don't mean like an insult, but like in general, what you were explaining to me, that's kind of like what I was getting out of it. So is it kind of like that? I mean, what's the... yeah, but well, 
it's, it's not a general uh, a trend, if you want, but but uh, there are some composers that have taken these from uh, the flamenco, for example, as a as a as a departure, and to then explore more uh, interesting things like. Uh, I don't know, for example, Mauricio Sotelo, who works with uh, with uh, a lot of with flamenco, with flamenco singers and guitar players and and dancers, but he goes really into the sound to to get what's more important in this, what what's more interesting in this uh, kind of music, or uh, also an, another Germany-based composer like uh, Jose Maria Sanchez Verdú, who who has explored a lot in not specifically into flamenco, but also into the Islamic tradition of music, which obviously has has influenced flamenco somehow. So uh, all the Sufi music, yeah, all the Sufi music, ritual music and stuff like that, that somehow is in the in the background of flamenco too. Yeah, so flamenco is like a point of depart from which you can explore more interesting things. Do you do that? I mean, not maybe not flamenco, but like how do you approach it? Because now you're not really. kind of in the same situation as them, but I, but I don't like. Do you approach it in that way or? Uh, not really. I think I'm uh, I'm interested in flamenco, and I think it has some interesting issues in there. But well, it's it's not it's not bet- between in, between my main uh, topics when I when I think about music. Yeah, maybe I'm more influenced by by rock and metal music, as I, as I said before. Than, than Spanish music, <clears throat> which is kind of a tricky question because uh, when you are into this huge web of composers of uh, all around the world, maybe what can make you what can make you different is to take your own personal stuff from your country or from your uh, region and to uh, to make something personal out of that. Is that personal though? That always like if it's too obvious, like that it's a hybrid for me. It just seems like an easy like solution. You know, I think of lots of, in the States, there's lots of composers who blend music from China, like Chinese folk music and like the orchestra tradition, like the romantic orchestra tradition. And it's supposed to be the, like this unique thing that like takes these two worlds and combines them. But it always seems very obvious to me. Isn't that an easy answer? Kind of. I don't think it's an easy answer. I think it's a, yeah, well, maybe it's easy because it's, it, it, it is what it's in your uh, what you have in your roots in your in the way uh, you ha- you conceive music. I mean, if if you do it in a natural way, I think it's not easy. Well, it's easy, but it's not uh, it's not uh, it's not a pose. If, if, oh, if it's, if it's oh. not a pose, I mean, yeah. if it's natural, if it comes naturally, I- I'm okay with that. The the problem is when, when you uh, when you say, okay, I'm going to be the Chinese composer. I'm going to take all the typical topical uh, sounds from from China and I'm going to put it into music. Maybe. This is a pose, and this 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 is even perverse. I think. Yeah, I w- but but you you cannot avoid your uh, the way you have uh, you have learned music, be it in a classical way, in a classical with a classical training, or, or however, you cannot avoid that when you write music. In my opinion. So you are influenced by this rock music, then, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Obviously, in rock music, there's a lot of cliché that uh, in which I'm not really interested. Like, uh, for example, the most of rock music, the the use of harmony is not interesting at all because it's like a typical patterns of uh, of uh, chord sequences and stuff like that. Power chords. Yeah, yeah. But not not only power chords, but the way harmony is treated. The succession of chords is always more or less the same. There's always very interesting exceptions, but but maybe it's not the most interesting point of uh, of uh, from rock music. What I find more more interesting from this is the is the uh, the timbric aspect. 
the the use of distortion, but uh, well, also the general timbric uh, thing in rock music with the the overall sound, with the the use of percussion, with the drum set, and it's like the, the overall sound, the the this kind of compact sound, and uh, the also the drive in the music, the the uh, the energy. This is another aspect with. Uh, with the timber, the uh, which which is which is connected, obviously, but uh, yeah, this use of energy in the rhythm and in the in the gesture, in the instrumental gesture, I think this is the the most interesting aspect that I take from rock music. How would you how would you use that in a piece? Well, for example, we have this piece uh, that was played yesterday in Gaudeamus, uh, which is called "So Fucking Easy." Well, you can see this uh, this uh, idea of gesture. Uh, instrumental gesture that somehow is inspired by by the way some guitar players use uh, the kind of gestures they use in their music. I'm thinking about uh, Jimi Hendrix or people like uh, Zach Wilde, for example, or people like Slash. These kind of gestures that uh, that uh, are kind of topical in uh, in rock music. But I think if you take it out of that context and you put it into a different context, you re- re- well, you change the context of these uh, of these uh, gestures. It, it it gains some kind of uh, of interest, and well, this is for the for the idea of instrumental gesture and uh, and also for the for the energetic drive of music. For the question of timber, uh, the most evident thing in rock music is the use of saturation, the, of uh, distortion. Distortion is a way for, of saturating timber, and uh, well, I use that uh, throughout in, in in my music. Uh, looking for, uh, I've been always interested in, in this uh, aesthetics of noise that is. That is in the roots of rock music. That's why in the in the work with the players, with the with the players of an ensemble of, of when I write for for a solo instrument, I'm looking always for instrumental techniques that produce uh, complex sounds that produce uh, more uh, interesting timbers. Do you have like a methodology, a set way of finding these things? Like you, you work with electronics too, right? Yeah. Do you have to analyze a sound? Don't you? You have like you have training in France, right? You studied. Yeah. At the conservatory there? No, at IRCAM. Okay, you studied at IRCAM there. Well, I also studied at the university. I did a master in research, but not in, not in opposition, but musicology, if you want. Oh, okay. Oh, you're a musicologist too? I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I did a research uh, because I had... I mean, it's a master in research where you have to do... A, you have to choose a subject, a topic to, to research. And uh, But I, I wouldn't call myself a musicologist. What was your topic? Uh, saturation. I have to write a couple of uh, of uh, memoirs, a couple of uh, of papers, and the first one was about saturation in uh, music for ensemble from uh, 2005 on onwards. Looking a little bit for the for the roots of saturation in uh, in contemporary music, because you know there's a some kind of uh, a wave of uh, French composers that are working with uh, with this idea of saturation right now. Where does it begin? Where's the, where, what's the root? Well, it's, it's hard to say. in French music. Uh, well, it's hard to say, but uh, obviously, rock music is a very important influence. But but I also try to trace these roots in contemporary music, in uh, academic well, not academic music, but how they say, they say in French, uh, music savant. Uh, it's like uh, the opposite to popular music. Oh, like reactionary music? No, unpopular uh, music. Anyway, so you were, so you I, were I tracing wanna, it in that. I wanted to trace the this uh, this uh, the roots of the use of noise and saturation in uh, contemporary music. Well, maybe we can say that with um, yeah, futurism, yeah. futurism uh, with uh, Rusolo and all these people. It's not the starting point, but well, there's a, there's an interesting noise. I'm much more 
I don't know how to put it. I, um, with futurism, the idea of noise is uh, is uh, is on the front of the mu of the musical interest. I don't know if it's a, if if it's at the parting point, a point, uh, a starting point, but uh, it's somehow a, a very important uh, moment in, in history in uh, in avant-garde music. That maybe in the musical aspect it wasn't so interesting, but it was a, like a declaration of interest. But I don't know. Then you can you can also find in 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 spectralism, in spectral music, you can find this this use of noise or you just or skipped it, like seventy years or something like that. What you just skipped like seventy years? Yeah, but yeah. because this idea of um, of a futuristic uh, artist or composers if you want to call them like that was somehow taken by uh, by serious composers or real composers if you if you want to call them you know in contrast with Rusolo who was wasn't really a musician but I think it, it had an influence in the in the use of uh, especially percussion instruments then you have uh, at that time you have uh, Stravinsky who who was influenced by futurism obviously you, you cannot call uh, you cannot call Stravinsky as I mean, he wasn't really interested in saturation, but but obviously there's a there's a there's a change in the way they, he conceived music. Yeah, I make a shift of uh, 70 years because what I'm what I was looking for was was for people who were really and, and uh, consciously consciously interested in work with uh, saturated sound. That's why I jumped yes. to spectral composer, where the the saturated sound is not really in the center of their interest, but it uh, it takes part of the of the idea of processus. We have the classical example of uh, of uh, Gérard Rousset uh, Parcel, yeah. which uh, you have this kind of uh, discourse, the, um, dialectics between the harmonic sounds and inharmonic sounds. He creates processus from one uh, type of, well, from harmonicity to yeah. inharmonicity. Super simple example. Yeah, that's the most yeah, simple example. Yeah. Like, I'm simplifying a lot. But, yeah. but uh, the, the question is that for spectral composers, complex sounds, saturated sound, inharmonic sounds, are in the middle of a processus, are part of a processus. Is they're not uh, the the saturated sound is not in the center of the of the idea. So this is what comes later in the with the post spectral composers. Like uh, I think for me, Romitelli is the first one who, who really is really interested in oh, that. Uh, makes sense. Yeah, he's really interested in uh, distortion and uh, saturation. In it's not it's not yet in the in the you know it's not the main topic in his music. I think it's, it's the is the inflection point in uh, saturated music, the music of Romitelli, and uh, what we have again in Romitelli the influence of rock music, in this case, uh, psychedelic rock music, yeah. and all, all this kind of of, uh, of music from the sixties and the seventies, and also and also he had an influence from electronic music, techno, and and experimental techno. He worked with uh, Pansonic and all these people. Well, and then from after Romitelli we have uh, this in. Uh, New wave of uh, French composers like uh, Raphael Sendot, uh, Bedrosian, Jarrobin, as well, who really put the saturated sound in the as, an, as the main uh, main material of their music. I mean, his music is entirely, especially in the in the case of uh, Raphael Sendot, his music is entirely based in this kind of materials. In uh, saturation is in the center of the music. It's not part of a processus. It's not part of a dialectic with uh, ordinary sounds. It's really in the middle of 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 his music. So do you think doing all this research actually helped you realize what you wanted to do with saturation or like how did you how does doing this uh, musicology degree and kind of understanding the history of this like affect your decision on how you want to approach it? 
Well, it helped me in the sense that it showed me that there has to be something else to create music. I mean, you cannot, uh, when, you, when you reach a point of extreme saturation, you cannot make music anymore with that. You're going to consider, consider it as, a, um, as an idea, musical idea, as a, a starting point of your piece, or uh, are you working into a aesthetics of saturation? I mean, it's like uh, the difference between idea and the way you put the, the idea, an idea into music. Yes, yeah. So it's this kind of uh, classical yeah. di dialectic okay. between yeah, idea I and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not a flexible idea because uh, saturation is... Uh, it, it has a very... Uh, the threshold, the main issue with saturation is until which point are you working with saturation? Where is the threshold that you have to... To yeah. pass to be into a saturated sound, or and uh, where is the, the the border between saturated sound and and uh, and uh, non saturated sound? It's, it's really complicated to uh, to say when are you working with saturation and when you, when you are making saturated music and when you're not making saturated music. I wonder if there's so, a way to figure that out with cognition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you can actually do a study of the brain that says when is the brain unable to pick up separate pieces of counterpoint information. And it's just a wash of noise that's happening. I wonder if there's actually a way to figure that out where you can say, actually, this is now saturation because the brain can't pick up all that information at once anymore. It's just coming up off to them as... But uh, there, you are talking about uh, overload in, uh, in, uh, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of information. Yeah. But, uh, but when I talk about saturation, especially in, in, this, uh, in this study that I've made in, at the university... I'm talking about saturation uh, applied to musical parameters or to musical aspects. I mean, uh, saturation applied to frequency, to timbre, especially, to texture, and to dynamics. It's more like a very technical approach. It was not a cognitive uh, kind of psycho-perceptive uh, study or something like that, because I, I, I didn't want to go that far. And uh, But I think that's... That's an interesting point as well because uh, I mean th that could be another parameter of saturation, uh, maybe not, not so technical as the other the others, but uh, but it could be also interesting. But I, I didn't want to go that far, so uh, my idea was to define which are the which are the way you can apply this uh, the, the saturation to these aspects of music and and to see how you can make music with that, how you work with that in a piece in a in particular analyzing particular pieces of these composers. And how do how do they deal with the use of saturation applied to these uh, to these uh, musical parameters or aspects musical aspects?
at first I, I tried to, to do it in a very systematical way, even dividing the the sections of the pieces in in terms of uh, what type of saturation I was using. Well, I I did that in a couple of pieces, uh, like like three or four years ago, and then I started to work in a more loose way. And uh, that's always the way it works, though, doesn't it? You always yeah, do like yeah. the. So these early pieces were probably super obvious pieces where it started out quiet and then it got really really loud to the point of saturation and then you do another parameter with it yeah yeah, yeah it was like uh, in this section i want to use uh, saturation of timber and dynamics and, and this other i'm going to i'm going to use a very very low dynamics but uh, i'm going to saturate the texture for example and then to, to the very complex textures with a lot of elements yeah it was pretty obvious and, and i'm still working in this uh, in this idea of blocks of form, but not in such an evident way of, you know, of using uh, saturation. I mean, all this research in, on saturation was interesting, but what I wanted to to see is, can we really speak about a wave of uh, saturating composers? I don't really think so, because uh, all that research, and you're like, nope, I was wrong. Yeah, well, it's not the main, <laughs> it's not the main uh, the main uh, conclusion, but uh, I don't think so because because of what I was saying before. What is the threshold? What is the border between saturation and non saturation? And can we speak about saturated music when when we speak about uh, Fernihal, for example? Can we speak about saturated music in such a complex music? Is that saturation? I think it's a tricky question. So I, in this research, I wanted to focus especially in in, uh, in these uh, technical aspects. When do we have sound, a saturated sound in terms of timber, for example? These kind of questions is, is a very technical, technical question and it's related to the spectrum of the sound and these kind of things. So anyway, you said you're much more looser with it now, the way you think about it and use it in your own work. How would you approach it now? Well, would I there just be this moment where you're just kind of intuitively feeling your way around a piece, writing it? Maybe you have a loose structure and then you're like, at this point I'm going to put in the sound that's going to sound like thick and saturated because I think it'll work well. And I know how to orchestrate it now because I did all this research before. Something like that? Uh, well, the question is, all, all this way uh, to commit to extended use of uh, of uh, sounds without a uh, pitch. I mean, sounds uh, we, where the pitch is not an important parameter because of their complexity. You cannot uh, perceive, perceive a, a particular pitch, a, a precise pitch. To, to make it simple, we can we can call them the noisy sounds. All this uh, systematic work with saturation took me. So now, regardless of of the idea of saturation or not saturation, this is where I'm working. This is the kind of materials I'm using right now. So my uh, the point now is how to make music with that. When you cannot make a, an harmonic system or some stuff like that, that you know, it's like a uh, traditionally if you can analyze a piece in terms of uh, pitch, how the pitch evolves, how the harmony harmony evolves in a music which is based in noises in non-pitched sounds uh, how do you work with that obviously we have a lot of composers who have done this before from Lachemann on but this is where I'm right now at this point to, to see how can I make music with uh, with uh, non-pitched materials so I'm looking uh, ways to to make some kind of syntax to make some kind of uh, discourse with this, this kind of materials using different kind of uh, of uh, combination procedures like uh, Markov chains or stuff like that. How long have you been doing that, trying to do it with non-pitch stuff? And why go in that direction? Well, maybe it was a more or less natural uh, evolution of my own, natural ev development of my 
of my way of composing. And I don't know, maybe a couple of years I started to work in this in this idea. When you're trying to work with with saturation, or well, it's not that you're trying to work with saturation, but when you feel that this is the kind of materials that you need to use in your music, you get to a point where you cannot really work with uh, with the pitch classes or pitch organization. When I started working with uh, this idea of saturation, I I, uh, I always looked to find um, a way to organize sound in terms of pitch, but I realized that it was useless. Okay, so you would have to organize sound based on pitch, but it doesn't mean that you'd have to organize the pitches. But but, I, but it makes no sense to make some kind of pros, uh, spectral processes like uh, going from a harmonic spectrum to a distorted spectrum in, for a, in a piece for orchestra, for example, uh, and you really calculate very precisely the pitches that you have to write for the strings and all that stuff. But in the, in the moment when you put overpressure in a string, something like that, you break all that, you uh, spoil all that, all that harmonic or the pitch work. So this is what I'm saying. At the beginning, I was trying to use this kind of spectral post-spectral procedures into into uh, into my compositions, but I realized that in the moment when you use uh, saturation in timber, like this overpressure in strings or multiphonics or the wind instruments, when in the moment when you use this, you break all this. Uh, I mean, the, all the pitch work is uh, useless. This is what this is why. Yeah, but I then saying. why do? But it doesn't mean you have to abandon pitches. It just means you have to not care about the pitch work. So if you're applying overpressure and you're ruining a spectrum that was kind of being distorted before and it was supposed to go to point A to point B perfectly and now it's broken, that's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean you have to completely abandon those types of way of organizing things. No, but, but, but I'm trying to tell what, is, what my evolution in the way of, of uh, conceiving a piece, the previous work of a piece, how to organize sound. This is how I came where I'm now. I mean... I realized that, that I was interested in uh, in this kind of sounds with without a pitch perception, a clear, pers- precise pitch perception. It's not that I had to uh, to abandon pitch. It's just that, that I felt attracted to this kind of sounds, and I realized that it was useless to uh, to use uh, traditional uh, pitch organization. You know, th- this is what I mean. That that I arrived to a point where where I, I need I needed to find some other procedures to, to organize the, the sound material, not based on pitch.
You're about to move to where was it again? I think you told me before. To Geneva. To Geneva. Yeah. And uh, uh, what's your what's your approach now with sound? And does that make sense for you being in Geneva? Maybe it will help me to uh, to organize material in a more controlled way. To maybe to system systematize to more, to be more systematic in the way of uh, of treating material. I don't know if if it's really necessary, but the idea of going to Geneva is not to to work on, on a precise uh, subject or something, on a concrete subject. It's more the idea of having new experiences and to seeing what, what, what it's all about, I mean, in Geneva. But it's not it's not that, that I'm looking for a particular thing to do there. Are you, you know? going to study there in Geneva? Yeah, yeah, at the conservatory. The right side is that they have a lot of uh, resources, you know, to, if you want to write for... For uh, orchestra, you can wait for orchestra. This is the don't don't put this in the conversation. But why? Why not? <laughs> what's the big deal? Well, you're looking at the computer like you could see the, what you just said. I mean, what's the? It's a school with a lot of resources. Why would you not want to go there? Yeah, because people want to uh, want to hear that uh, I I want to go because uh, because of, uh, because the teachers are fantastic and the, the teachers are fantastic there. But uh, the, the question is. I I'm in a point where I, where where I don't know if I really need to go on go on studying. Obviously, to get advices in I don't know in workshops like this in Audeamus or stuff like that, this is always good to have to receive advices from well known composers and good composers and well, from everybody, also for the from the colleagues. But uh, you reach to a point where you don't really need a continuous supervision. You know, you you need to uh, spread yourself to express yourself by your own. And maybe I, I've reached that point. Maybe I don't need a master. In terms of my personal training, I don't, maybe I don't need a master anymore. Maybe I will need to move by myself. But uh, the question is that a good conservatory like this one offers you the possibility to write almost whatever you want, whatever you want. So, so what's the problem with saying that? Well, maybe there's no problem. There is no problem with saying that. Yeah, I didn't, that's weird. I didn't think I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. But you think you're at that point now where you you kind of like. You know where you want to go, and all you really need I mean, is kind uh, of it, like advice from people. Every once in a while, you'll drop by and show them a score, and then he'll be like, he won't talk to you about like deep aesthetic problems, but he'll he'll, he'll look at a point and they'll be like, that's maybe you don't want to put the clarinet up there, or maybe not even something like that, or something even like a little bit 
more general. Yeah, yeah more general. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm in that point. I mean, I, I don't need a I don't need teachers to tell me how to write a, a trill or something like that. But I think I mean, that I think teachers know that about students. Good teachers are obviously are good at gauging where their students are. And if it was some 24-year-old kid, you know, who comes in and like doesn't really know what he's doing, then of course you're going to have to be more hands-on. But if, if someone like you who's you've done like a whole like research, you know, musicology degree on a concept that you're working with and that you've been working with for a while, then then they should be hands-off mostly. You know? Yeah, this is the idea. This is the idea. So you're gonna go there. You're gonna have all these opportunities to write, like for orchestras, and kind of test out your ideas in different mediums. What I now I think is to write for big instrumentations, and uh, yeah, this is a good place to do that. So because I, I've I've been working for a while for for small ensembles and uh, solo instruments and stuff like that. So now I think I need to to look for this new uh, way of uh, organizing material. To, to how to make it with bigger ensembles. Because, uh, for example, in the piece I wrote at IRCAM, at the Cursus in IRCAM, it was a piece for saxophone and electronics. And uh, I started working with uh, with uh, this uh, Markov change I, were, I was talking about. And, uh, well, it's pretty easy when you're working with only with one instrument and you and you establish a web of uh, of materials and the way, and with the Markov change, you set the way, uh, the, the probability of going from one material to another one and it really works also because you work in a great uh, degree of uh, economy of material. You work with very few materials, so you can very fast you can hear these uh, probabilities the composer has established. You have uh, like seven, eight materials, and and you uh, you hear ah yeah I hear this uh, tongue ram that comes uh, before this uh, multiphonic or something like that, and in, immediately you you can uh, you can understand the the syntax of this uh, of this procedure. So now I want to to expand this kind of. Uh, this kind you think of, it's hard, uh, and you think it's harder to do that with larger ensembles, creating a syntax like that that's followable. Yeah, with or, a lot of uh, when you have more colors, more you know, all the orchestral colors and uh, all the all the different possibilities uh, the orchestra has, for example, it gets harder to to make uh, this uh, this kind of work. But well, it's it's only a, a way to organize uh, organize material. I mean. I want to explore other ways. This is this is also one of the things I want to go on uh, researching how how to organize this. It's always this question when of how to, research, how to organize. Yeah, when you say research, you just mean like writing music, right? Yeah, you don't mean like sitting down in a lab and like with no, a saxophonist no, yeah. and like you know. No, I them, had my share yeah. of that. Yeah. Oh, you had your share of that? I guess at Earcan you did. Uh, well, at the university with this uh, in research in musicology, yeah. I, I had my share of that. Yeah. What's your next project? How do you plan on? getting better at this just by trial and error like you're going to write a piece for a large ensemble you're going to be like oh that worked that didn't work that well, worked well next project is a piece for solo clarinet and electronics well but, but it's kind of particular piece because it's, it's an it's a commission for a for for a concert where all the pieces are are an homage to uh, Eric Dolphy the saxophone player and saxophone clarinet and flute player sax jazz player some kind of uh, conditioned by by this uh, commission but uh, the next one i don't know i don't know I, I already need to think i need to think yet yeah it's also a matter of looking for experiences and you know seeing where what people is doing here and there and yeah i think it's also about that oh god this is ridiculous so anyway, let's. You want to get back? You want to just try and like push through this with uh, jazz? It's gonna be like this for a long time, 
because I had to interview nine more people like in this room. <laughs> yeah, but how how long are you going to be in Geneva for? Yeah, a couple of years. Well, that's not that that's not that bad. So you'll be no. thirty one. Yeah, by the time you're done, you have no idea what you want to end up like. Eventually, you had to do something. Well, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Where, especially being a composer, it's hard to it's hard to know where you're going to find to end up. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just going to do these two years in Geneva, and then no. But I, I don't know. In the future, it depends on a lot of factors and also personal factors. Because uh, I I would really like to live in Spain, but right now it's not possible for a for a musician to live in to live well in Spain. You know, to to do your job and to do uh, to express yourself uh, properly. It's not really possible. So it's a very special country. I, I don't know what. what I think people is too loose. Is too. Uh, I know people in general don't give a fuck about anything. So that's a uh, big statement. Yeah, but uh, it works. <laughs> We're still standing somehow. I don't know, but obviously, speaking about art, we don't have the tradition other countries have, like uh, Germany or France, maybe the northern con- countries in Europe. So. Uh, so why do you want to live there? Just because it's comfortable? I mean, just because it's where you're from? Yeah, because yeah. this is where I have my people. And, uh, and you live well in Spain. You, you can live good. I mean, it's a nice place to be, but it's not a nice place to work. This is the problem. And, it's, and it's, in general, it's not a nice place to work, but especially for, for arti- artists. So I don't know. I, I need to be in a place where I, where I can develop myself. And have the, opportun- yeah, have the yeah. opportunities you need. Cool. Well, I think it's a good place to end it. We talked for a while. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for doing this. No, thank you, Dan.